We're going to continue on in the Word of God. We have been uh, in this series that we're just calling Gospel for, this is week 32 that we are in the Gospel. We're going chronologically through the Gospel story. And last week, we focused our time on the parable of the sower, the seed of the Gospel being sown into the four different types of soil, the different types of people. And I asked you to take some self-samples, some soil samples, and ask yourselves where you are with the gospel getting deep down inside of you, creating a root system in your lives. I hope you did that this week, and I hope that the Lord is speaking to you in that journey as you grow deeper in your discipleship with him. And now we're going to continue on in this section that we call the kingdom parables. Uh, that's what this kind of section is known as. There are actually seven parables in this chapter, starting with the parable of the sower. And we only hit one last week, but we're going to hit six this week because they're much shorter uh, and we can kind of get through them. Uh, the parable of the sower that we read last week becomes, I want you to catch this because I think this is really important. To understand the next group of parables, you need to understand that the Parable of the sower, if you were here with us last week, is kind of the answer key to understand the other parables. Uh, it helps. <laughs> Sorry. If you don't know what I'm laughing at, don't worry about it. Uh, if you don't understand that parable, it is the answer key to understanding the rest of them. And so we're going to continue on. If you have a Bible, if you have a device, we're going to be in Matthew chapter. 13, and we're going to start in verses 24 through 30. And this is known as the parable of the tares or the parable of the weeds. Verse 24. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and to gather them? <clears throat> but he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Okay, so we have this story, <clears throat> parable of the wheat and the tares. Another story about seed being sown into the field. And this field belongs to a certain man. However, this man has an enemy, somebody who dislikes him so much that he wants to ruin his entire livelihood. He comes in and he sows the weeds into his field, intentionally trying to ruin his harvest. The servants ask a question, which sounds a little funny and arrogant to me, like, does a servant go to his master and be like, what the heck, man? Didn't you sow good seed? And he said, yes, I did, but an enemy came in, and he's trying to ruin it. Now, most Bible scholars think that what we're talking about here is, is there's a, a weed that looks almost completely identical 
to wheat. So you can see on the right side, this is wheat. And on the left side, there is this seed called a bearded darnel. And you can kind of tell when they grow up like this. You can look at the heads and see them different. But when they're young, they look exactly identical. And so it's not until you get to the actual wheat head that you can see, oh, something has gone wrong in my field. And so Jesus is telling the story. He's using something that they would have totally understood as an agrarian world. They know, oh, man, yeah, if you have bearded Darnell in your wheat field, there's a problem. And so he's talking about this. It was, unfortunately, I guess, common for an enemy to try to come and ruin another man's fields. At first, they are indistinguishable, but then you can realize what's going on. And what's even more uh, damaging is that the tares, the darnel, will actually grow down into the root system of the weed and intertwine into the root system. So not just ruining what's on top, but what is deeper down as well. Now the man has this field and everything has gotten mixed up and his servants asks, do you want us to go through and to pull all of the tares, all of the weeds. And he says, no, because he knows if they do that, they're going to start pulling up all of the wheat also. Everything is going to be lost. If they had just started going through there and tearing up everything, he's going to lose his entire harvest. And so he wisely says, no, we're going to wait until the time of harvest. Now this happened in their society. This is a a grievous crime. Even in ancient Roman law, To go into a neighbor's field and to plant weeds intentionally was against the law because you are literally going to ruin somebody's entire livelihood, their job, their ability to provide for their family. And so we see this enemy's goal that we're talking about in the story is to ruin the harvest of the man. I think you probably see where this is going, right? He's trying to ruin the harvest, but the farmer is wise. He allows everything to grow up together, and only once the time of the harvest comes does he separate the wheat and the tares. Okay, like last week, we're going to do something different. We're actually going to pause that story because this is the way that Jesus tells these stories. We're going to pause that story. We're going to come back and explain more of that. But first, we're going to jump to some shorter parables that Jesus tells. He jumps into verse 31 and 32, and very famous story. It's the parable of the mustard seed. Verse 31, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nest in its branches. This is an interesting little parable because many have argued that the mustard seed is not actually the smallest seed in the whole world, which it's not. Uh, But it is the smallest seed of an ancient uh, Israeli herb garden, and so... The point is, you're missing the whole point if you're just obsessed with, like, it's not the smallest seed. Like, okay, it was the smallest seed in their context for what they're talking about. It's not the smallest seed in the whole world. But 
He's just talking about their herb gardens. And so I think people get hung up on that. Here's another interesting thing, and this is going to become a theme throughout today. This parable has a general understanding by a lot of people that I think is wrong. Uh, The general understanding, if you just kind of listen to what a lot of people would say, is that the mustard seed represents the church, the kingdom of God, and it is uh, growing up into a bigger and bigger thing, and eventually it becomes this bush that has branches, and people can rest in its uh, shadows and all that stuff. But if you actually read this story again, and if you read the context of the first parable, I think that's not a proper understanding of this story. What if this parable is actually talking about the same things that the last parable is talking about? This mustard seed, I think, is actually corruption in the church. He talks about this mustard seed starts small, and, he, and it grows bigger and bigger. And mustard seeds, again, don't get hung up on this, but mustard seeds aren't trees. So he's talking about something that is abnormal, something that starts small and then grows abnormally large. And so this mustard seed becomes like a tree. It was an unnatural growth, like corruption in the church when discord comes and false doctrines and the enemy comes in to try to ruin the harvest. And so it's growing. This is what I think the mustard seed is talking about. There there are people and groups that are rising up, even in the early church, that are seeking to change the gospel. Those who add to the gospel or take away from it, and they claim to be a part of the kingdom of God, but they are false. They are trying to nest into the kingdom. They are trying to sit upon the branches of the kingdom. They seek to make the gospel seem like it's all about something other than the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And they seek to intertwine into the root system of the gospel. There's another very short parable that comes, and I think it has the same message. And again, I think it's been misunderstood. Matthew 13, just one verse, this parable, the parable of the leaven. He told another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. The leaven, the yeast, goes in and it permeates all of the flour. Eventually it becomes all leavened. And I think, again, this parable has been misunderstood because people have said, see, the leaven is the church. The church goes into the world and eventually we spread the gospel throughout the world and yay, we're all leavened. But there's a problem with that because everywhere in the Bible when we talk about leaven, it's sin. It represents evil. The common misunderstanding of this is that it's the church, but I think again, the leaven is the hypocrisy. It is the enemy coming in trying to ruin everything by adding just a little bit of what he has. 
I think if you start to look at these three stories together, you see this theme emerging. The enemy sows the weeds in the field, trying to destroy the work that God is doing. The enemy sends the birds into the branches. Remember that story, the mustard seed? It says that the birds come in and nest in the branches of the mustard tree. Remember the first story? What did the birds represent? The enemy coming to destroy the seed. The birds represented evil. And so in that story, the birds come in, they try to get into the mustard seed bush, and they're sitting there bringing their false doctrine. And now the enemy introduces leaven into the church to try to turn the whole thing into leaven and destroy it from the inside out. These parables are a warning to us that the enemy of God is actively seeking to come into the church and to, to destroy the work of Jesus. And that they're trying to depart from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. They're trying to get all caught up in false doctrines rather than remaining in Jesus. They are warnings not to be taken in by the evil one, but to trust the Lord and to stay on task. They are parables of warning that his followers are getting caught up in corruption. Jesus wants his followers to know This is really important. Listen, Jesus wants us to know that there is corruption even within the church that we have to be aware of. And I'm not going to get into all, it would be way too long to talk about church history all the way back. But you can see this. Corruption coming into the church and taking away from the gospel that we are supposed to be focused on. Intertwining other things that do not matter and acting as if they are the gospel truth. Verses 34 and 35 tell us all these things Jesus said to the crowds in the parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Jesus is speaking parables And even the fact that he does that is a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. The Psalms tell us that the Messiah would come and he would speak in this manner. Jesus fits even the prophecy of how the Old Testament said that he would preach. The style in which he would use. Okay, so now we go back to the parable of the weeds. And Jesus gives us his explanation. Verse 36 Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the son of the kingdom. The weeds are the son of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of the kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. I love the humility of the disciples here, because... We don't often see them acting humble. 
But in this case, they come and they're like, could you explain this to us? Because we're lost. Like, we don't get it. And so Jesus, this is just such a clear, I love how clear this is. When he's talking to them, he says, this is exactly what this means. He basically says, I'm the one who has the field. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of God. The weeds are the children of the evil one. The enemy that came in to sow was the devil. The harvest is the end of time. The reapers are the angels. Eventually, the weeds will be gathered up and burned with fire, and the angels will gather up all of the evil and throw them into the fire. I love this as a side note. Look whose job it is to get rid of the enemy. It's God's job. It's not our job. You don't need to walk around being like, "Mm, I think you're a false believer, and I think you're a false believer. That's not your job. That's not my job. That is God's job, and he uses his angels to do that. And that's for another time. This whole section has shown us that there is corruption that comes in the world that we need to be aware of, but it also shows us this incredibly important principle that God is going to sort all of this out when his time has come to fruition. We don't need to sit around worrying all the time, like, oh, what's happening in the world? And I have heartburn. Like, God's going to take care of it. He has a plan. And we are not yet in the era of the final judgment. We have this amazing blessing of being in the era of building the kingdom of God. Of bringing the word of God to those who need to hear it. And it's not our jobs to sort out the false believer from the true. God's going to care about that. We have this blessing that all we are called to do is to love God, love people, and make more disciples. We don't have to worry about what God's going to do. He's going to sort it out. We get to be a part of his love pouring out into the world. This explanation of the parable from Jesus ends with an important but intense distinction. He basically says, there there are two destinies. There's the wheat and the tare. Those who cause sin and are lawbreakers, they will be judged that the enemy sowed them to bring destruction and they will be thrown into the fiery furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth to be burnt up. It's interesting, this idea that we call hell but they had a, there was a word in Hebrew, Sheol, and it was literally the dump outside of Israel where the trash would go. And there were wild dogs, and the wild dogs would weep and yelp, and they would gnash their teeth, and they would fight. And so he's giving them an image for them to understand in their context what it's like to be cast out. You're cast out into the dump, into the corruption where there's nothing but death and there's weeping and there's gnashing of teeth and there's dogs fighting. He's giving them this image that they can understand what that's like. But then he says, those who are righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. This is one of the truths within the truth of the whole gospel. There are only two options in our lives. We either receive righteousness from Jesus as a free gift that he offers us, and we get to shine 
like the sun, or we try to go in with our own righteousness, which will fail over and over and over again, and we are cast out into Sheol. I know that's a tough thing for us to hear, but that is the gospel. The gospel is that God gives us his righteousness so that we can be taken away from that lostness. And it's a beautiful gospel. After this explanation of the parable of the weeds, the chapter turns slightly, and Jesus tells two very short parables again. The first is the parable of the hidden treasure. Verse 30, sorry, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like the treasure hidden in the field. The man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Verse 45 and 46 of the parable of the pearl of great price. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Now again, I'm going to sound like a broken record here. But I think that these two parables are widely misunderstood because the general understanding is that we are the man or the merchant and we find the gospel and we sell everything that we have, the world, and then we lay hold of the treasure, which is the gospel, and then we get to be rich. Yay, everyone wins. Rich. But I think this is a misunderstanding. There's some problems with it. Because in each of the preceding kingdom parables, the field represents the world. And Jesus isn't in the world. Right? We don't go into the field to find the treasure, the pearl. Jesus also isn't a hidden treasure. He is probably the most famous human being who has ever lived in the history of the world. He's not hidden. He comes and puts himself in front of everybody. And also, we can't purchase salvation. That's part of the whole gospel story. And even if you could purchase salvation, what valuable thing do you have that could possibly purchase salvation? If you were going to try to purchase the love of God and you opened up your wallet, you think a credit card is going to do it? Like, what, what are you going to try to buy salvation with? You're going to use your filthy rags? You're like, uh, this is all I got, right? So I think I would argue, again, that these parables, these are physical stories help us understand a spiritual truth that Jesus is the man. He is the merchant. He goes into the field, which is the world. He purchases the field with everything that he has, which is his very life. And then he lays hold of the treasure. And here's the hard part for us, because the treasure is you. And we feel very uncomfortable with that, don't we? I don't feel very treasury. And yet, 
over and over again, Jesus refers to the church as his bride, as his children, as his beloved. Even if you don't feel like a treasure, Jesus looks at you and says, you're the treasure that I came to purchase because you are my sons and daughters. You are my bride. These short parables tell us the gospel truth in just one or two little sentences that Jesus is an incredible Savior that pursues us, that comes into the field, that gives up everything so that he may lay hold of his treasure, which is the church. While the first few parables dealt with corruption that comes into the world and the church community, these two parables speak of the fact that Jesus loves the church so much that he will enter into a world that is corrupt to bring us back into relationship with him. That's how Jesus feels about you. If that doesn't rock you a little bit, you need to listen. Jesus views us as his treasure. That's beautiful. It's amazing. One more parable here. Verse 47 through 50, the parable of the net. This kind of comes back to another story. But again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The disciples would have understood part of this parable very easily. Many of them were fishermen. This is what they did their whole life until they started following Jesus. They say, yeah, you throw your net out, you pull it up into the boat, you get rid of the bad fish, you keep the good fish. It was was a major industry. It was the way of life. And so again, I love this. Jesus uses things that they are going to understand. And the kind of fishing that they're talking about is not really what we do with rod and reels. It's the net. They cast their nets out, often a huge net that would go between two boats and get all of the fish that were in between those boats, and they pull it up. And there could be many good fish, many bad fish, but the parable is about the judgment that is going to come at the end. When the net is drawn in, when the harvest is finally pulled in, there will be a separation of the tares of the bad fish and the wheat of the good fish. There will be a judgment that God is in charge of, not us. And we have to realize that that is, again, part of the gospel. That we will be judged on what we did with Jesus in this life. There will be a judgment that comes. This judgment was not invented by some Southern Baptist preacher who is just like, fire and brimstone, and i got to scare people. Like, that's not it. There is an ultimate destiny. And what we do with Jesus matters. When Jesus finishes speaking these seven kingdom parables to them, he says something I find humorous. Because he says, verse 51, he's talking to the disciples, and he says, have you understood these things? And they say, yep. 
The same group of people that are like, could you explain this? Because we are lost. And then he tells them all these things, and they're like, oh, yeah, we get it. No, they don't. We're still trying to get it 2,000 years later. But they're just like, yes, we understand. They went from humble to not so humble real quick. And then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house who brings out his treasure, what is new and what is old. They say, yeah, we get it. And Jesus is so gracious. He doesn't just say, no, you don't. But you will. Either way, they say they get it, and Jesus puts it back on them, and he basically says, he's talking about the scribes and all this thing, he's basically saying, now you have a responsibility because you say that you understand these things, you understand these parables, you understand the spiritual truths that are coming through these stories that I'm telling you, then now you have a responsibility to share your understanding with the world around you. And the same is true for us today. Once we understand the gospel. Once we say, I, I, I see the spiritual truths that are coming through in these stories, then God would say, now you have a responsibility. You understand these things. You have this knowledge of the kingdom of God, the secrets of the kingdom. Then what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with that responsibility? It reminds me of the scariest verse in the Bible. It's in Luke, and it says, to whom much is given, much is required. Because I have been given so much. That verse scares the crud out of me. I have been given so much, and so there's a requirement. And if I understand the gospel, if I understand this truth, that we've spent 32 weeks, and we're probably not halfway done trying to grasp this gospel, if I read these parables and I understand them and their deeper meanings in the Holy Spirit, if I grasp the greatest truth and the greatest knowledge that has ever existed in this world, I then have a responsibility to God and to his people to pass that on to others. If you're here today and you grasp this truth, you know the Lord and you understand the gospel, you have a responsibility to do what he has called us to do, which is to love him, to love people, and to go out into the world to make disciples of all nations. It is the calling on all of our lives. I've said this so many times. There are no bench warmers on God's team. Nobody gets, I've, I've heard people say this, I'm just kind of a learner. That, that's not an option. Jesus doesn't give us these gifts for us to hoard them and to just kind of hold them in our hearts and say, I feel warm. He says, I will give you this gift. And now the calling on your life is to go out and to share it, to share the gospel, to share the truth, to tell people the realities of these stories. And so the question is, if you grasp these things, if we understand the gospel, if we understand what God is doing, then what are we going to do about it? Let's pray.
God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you are calling us to. God, we thank you for these amazing stories that share truths with us that we can grab onto, that we can kind of begin to lay hold of and begin to understand your kingdom and how your kingdom works. Lord, and I pray that every single person here today who understands your truth would understand that we have a responsibility to take that truth into the world and to share it with those who do not yet know you. Lord, I thank you for everything that's going on in the Gallatin Valley. I thank you for Love, Inc., and the fact that they are trying to do this same thing, to share your kingdom with those that don't know you. And let us as a church, let this body be a part of that work here in Bozeman and in this valley and in Montana and all through the corners of the world. Lord, if you have a specific calling on someone here today that they have not yet quite laid hold of, would you just make it clear to their hearts? If they're called to world missions, if they're called to pastoral ministry, if they're called to just raise disciples up, like would you give them a passion and the courage to fulfill that passion? We pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said,